Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today we're going to look at uh, this passage in Colossians, Colossians 3, 1-17. So if you've got a, a Bible or your device, you want to open it up there, it'd be good to follow along with me. So I'm just going to pray and uh, we'll get started. Lord, we just uh, praise you and thank you um, and recognising that you are our Father in heaven and we want to honour you. We, we say, hallowed be thy name, as in the Lord's Prayer. And we're praying that your kingdom, your rule would come into our lives and in the lives of others around us and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that you will continue to, to bless us with bread and provisions, a place to live and clothing and so on that we need, the necessities of life, but above all that you would pour out your spirit upon us and renew us and enrich us with your love. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Yeah, so Colossians 3, I'm probably building a little bit on from what Sean preached last week about uh, uh, living the holy life and um, actually this passage poses us a great challenge and uh, if you have got it open you'll notice that the first word is if. It sort of starts with uh, a question or uh, uh, the English people may say it's a conditional sentence. Um, If you know this then you will do this. Um, Now, why would Paul need to ask a question like that? Uh, And I'm asking you that. Why, you know, you you can ask yourself, why is Paul saying if, if, um, if you've been raised with Christ and before in chapter uh, two, the last, the end of chapter two, if you've died with Christ, you get what I'm saying? You may say, well, Paul, you know, we know the answer to this. I mean, we've come along to church and we've read our Bibles and, yes, um, the Colossians would know that too, that uh, if you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, our sins, Um, if you know the gospel, that he was raised to life after he died and um, uh, to show us that, Yes, physical death is a penalty and he paid the penalty for our sins, so he conquered um, in that way. And yet here Paul is writing, if, if, what's happened to my computer? There we go. Well, let me tell you, because often we forget our place with God, because we forget the truth of God. We go about our lives, we do things and we want to get things done and uh, like many today, they can speak the truth but do they really live it? Do they really uh, accept, take it into their lives? And that's the reason why Paul puts that if there. And we can read in the immediate context, if we go back to chapter 2, if, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world... Why, as if you are still alive in the world, Paul writes, do you submit to regulations, the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion 
and asceticism. They have no value, says Paul, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, Christians today can be easily distracted from living with Christ today. And this goes back to actually seeing the whole sweep of the Bible, from Genesis right through to Revelation, to understand what is being revealed to us through God's word and to know what God's purposes are, that we might become more and more like Jesus. And we need to ask, how does it happen? How do we come more and more like Jesus? How do we become more spiritually mature? And the answer, of course, is right here in Colossians 3. There are three points I'm going to outline today, and Kath will put them up there. Verse 1 to 4 talks about the foundations. And this goes back to we need to understand, we need to build on a sound foundation. And then in verses 5 to 17, how we can build on that foundation to become spiritually mature, mature in Christ. And thirdly, I'm just going to give a couple of little uh, points and to how we can stay on track because we so easily can get off track. So first of all, verse 1 to 4, the foundations in our lives. These are the facts, the reality, the truth that we are to build our life upon. And we can see that in these verses and how important is it to have our life anchored on the truth rather than build your life on lies. Just goes back to what Jesus was teaching. If you have read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, you'll see at the end of that sermon, Jesus said, and those that hear these words and put them into practice are like the man who builds his house on the rock. The house stands no matter what the situation uh, that fa- you face. But the man who hears the words, notice the people still hear the word, but what the difference is here is that they don't put it into practice, you see. And so they're like the man that builds on the sand. And what did Jesus say in the end? Great was the disaster when that house fell. So we must know the foundations that we are to build our lives upon. And there are five truths I want to highlight here this morning to hear and to put into practice. And this is so important. You know, we perhaps we just, oh, yeah, that's okay, that's important, Rob. Good, good. <laughs> Let me just illustrate with um, something that's out there in the world today. You know, there's Russia and Ukraine and the Russians said, oh, yes, we've got plenty of uniforms for our conscripts and they looked up their records. We've got one and a half million uniforms somewhere hiding in the, the warehouses somewhere. But then they realised that that was actually only on paper. They didn't have them because of the corruption in the government, because of the corruption in that society. Some people cleverly had taken the money and spent it on their yachts and their nice houses in the Mediterranean area. And so here was some greedy individuals that caused a lot of pain and death to the conscripts who had to go and buy their own uniforms 
so that they could go and fight a war that Russia decided to fight against Ukraine. And um, some of them died. Some of them have died. And so greed, one of those sins that the Bible talks about, promoting the lie that brings about suffering and death. And, you know, when we look anywhere in the world at any government, there is always some corruption, some graft going on. We look at it in our organisations, in society. Truth and lies. It's the same all over the world. Anywhere we can look, we look at the papers. The rich and famous. Look at the sagas with the royal family, with Harry and Meghan. Look at the government with the referendum, you know, that we're about to vote on later this year. Uh, Aboriginals having a voice. Or look in the Victorian government and, and the Liberals, how they demoted more redeeming, a, a lovely Christian woman. Or look at the sport and the scandals going on with the Institute of Sport and uh, sports instructors grooming young children um, and, and abusing them. Or at the schools, look at the oppression going on there about teaching the Christian idea of uh, binary sexuality. Or look at home safety and how women can be abused in the home and children can be abused in the home. Or marriage and, and the true nature of marriage has been attacked the last 50 years. Uh, even in religious circles, people believe can believe some sort of half-truth or lie that God is going to heal them some miraculously way. If they just go to this place and say this certain prayer, then they will be healed. If they are not healed, they must, be, they must have some sort of sin in their lives. This is so important that we understand the foundation that we are to build upon. Seek the things that are above, Paul writes. Perhaps I'm just wanting to state the obvious, and I hope you've understood the point, but there's so many people out there in this world today that have no idea of God, that he's present, that he's active, that he's glorious, that he's good, that he's gracious, and that he, he can help us change our lives. Um, <clears throat> what's happened here? Computers. Here we go. And, of course, that doesn't mean you won't face hardships. That doesn't mean that, um, that uh, God doesn't allow certain things or that certain things happen. There's, there's suffering and pain and tears in our lives from time to time. But the point is that God sees all, knows all, and even if we go through these testing times, he goes with us through those times. And there's an absolute certainty that God will bring us into a glorious future. What Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, that no eye has seen or mind has perceived, or a man has imagined what God has prepared for those who are in Christ Jesus. So... We should recognise that we are not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We don't measure up in our lives to what, how Jesus lived his life. We know that. 
And the key, important key here is to build on these foundations. And it starts looking at these foundations and examining our life. And that's, that's an important thing to do before I come to these five points, to examine yourself in the light of revelation. We keep making mistakes and um, the same errors of judgment. And, and it all comes out of our inner nature. Is that not serious for you? Again, I want to give a little example. You know, been married a couple of years and uh, I said a few words to my wife when we're home and we're about to eat dessert. I said, did this pavlova come from the shops? Uh, I have regretted that saying that ever since. Uh, It was just a misunderstanding. But uh, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. When I was dating my wife, I used to go to her parents' place and her mother used to make these magnificent pavlovas, homemade pavlovas. They were like this and like this. I'm not exaggerating. And it was just um, magnificent. And, you know, like it had come out from time to time and I I would just think, wow, you know, like mother, like daughter, or like daughter, like mother. And, yes, Julie had learned all those skills from her mum. She could make a pavlova and she makes a magnificent pavlova. But I've been married now for 40 years and I'm still in a drought. (coughs) How important is the words? I'm sure you've had some situation where you've said something and you've regretted it or you've done something and you've regretted it. How important is it just to look at these little things so that we can reform even the little things in our lives? The small things can have a big impact, you know, but uh, there, is, there is a sort of an end to that story. You know, I know when I'm with Jesus, there will be a banqueting table where there will be pavlovas much bigger. And even if Julie does happen to make a homemade pavlova, it will be a taste of heaven, won't it? But, uh, yeah, some scriptures to think about. We ought to examine ourselves. I'm going to put them up here. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself, Paul writes, to see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? (laughs) Unless indeed you fail to meet the tests, he's not in you. Or we're going to do communion a bit later today. 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats... The bread drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy man. He will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. How important is that to recognise that Jesus is in us and among us, that anyone that eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment? And 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 14, what a, what a, um, a very timely passage to read. In relation to this, according to the grace given to me, writes Paul, I'm like a skilled builder and I've built this foundation in you Corinthians, he's writing. And, and someone else can build on it, but let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation. Here's the important line. No one can lay a foundation 
other than that which is laid, which Paul has done, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood and hay, each one's work will be tested and will become manifest. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test out what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on survives, he will receive a reward. Like I said, we get easily distracted as Christians from living with Christ today. And um, it goes back to sort of understanding this is really what what life's about. Sometimes uh, we don't realise what comes out of our heart. We don't realise the situation is in. Think back, if you've read Genesis chapter 3, there was Adam and Eve in relationship, in communion with God. And then they, Eve was tempted and, the, and both Adam, man, the man and the woman were tempted and decided that they could run life their own way. They could rule their own lives. And remember what happened then. Remember the words that, what went on then. God was there present in the garden. And the words God said, where are you? Isn't that a question for us too? Where are we with God? Where are you? And the answer was, I'm hiding because I'm afraid, because I'm ashamed. And isn't that the pattern of life today, that people run away from God, they don't own up that they can't measure up. And yet God's desire is that he would have fellowship with with human beings and that you would be transformed to be like him and to be with him. And so let me look at these five foundational truths. And I'm going to go through them briefly because we we could have a sermon on perhaps just that part. But... um, Firstly, the reality of God. In verse 1 it starts off, um, seek the things above, where God is. And uh, in verse 3, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reality is, we see this from the scriptures, that God is out there. God is with us. God is around us. Colossians starts off with this magnificent hymn of praise, they call it, in verse 15 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Yes, God is invisible. That's what makes it hard for people to understand that God is there. But he, you know, we can understand that some things are real even though they're invisible. If you want to test out whether electricity is real, just hold the positive and the neutral together. Turn the PowerPoint on, see whether it's real. God is real. And we need to recognise that in our lives. The second is that Christ, where is Christ positioned now? Well, he's above and he's seated uh, in the judgment seat where God is the judge next to God, in a prominent position, the right hand. 
And that's important to know because um, he's, he's the one that we can understand God much better because he came and lived among us and, and was one of us. Thirdly, Jesus redeems our lives. It says there in these verses that Christ died and was raised and you have died and you have been raised with him and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus redeems our lives and for some people in the world today, we we tell them that, that Jesus is a redeemer and we've got to understand the word redeem. It's like you go to a pawn shop or something that you've pawned off something and you can buy it back. Well, God has paid the penalty and brought us back to himself. That's what it's saying, that um, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus redeems our lives. And perhaps is the way to think about it that in order for us to understand God, God came amongst us. God came in the person of Jesus. But then for us to go where God is, the man, Jesus, entered heaven. And he's there. And um, certainly um, people get tied up with um, trying to understand that this happened 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years, not really a long time in one sense. Perhaps for a young child, you know, it's a long time between birthdays, but really our lives, you know, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, I don't have long to live. Um, <clears throat> but I was thinking about this the other day. You know, my dad was born in 1923 on September the 9th. Now, that's only a few months away, and it'll be 100 years ago from when he was born. And so in two generations, a hundred years, see, me, I know all the facts and a lot of things about my dad, as much as I know a lot about myself too, but I know a lot of things about my dad. But he was born in 1923, a hundred years ago. Two generations, that's all it is, a hundred years. But you think about the oldest man in the Bible and imagine if our lives were like that age, He was Methuselah. You can look it up in Genesis chapter 5. How old was Methuselah? 969 years. So you put two generations of Methuselah's age together and we're back at the time of Christ. And we only have to be in that place at that time. That's what understanding the history of the world helps people see that that's not really a long time. That's, in our terms, maybe 20 generations ago or 25 generations. In Methuselah's generation span, it's only a couple of generations. And we can look at that time and that place. And that's why we need to come back to the scriptures and read those accounts. And then the final two foundational points here is that Christ is going to appear. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Jesus is going to appear again. The Bible tells us again and again, all through the Gospels we read, that Jesus is coming back. And then finally, that you will also appear with him in glory. That you will come out, your life will come out of the hiddenness, in a a sense the world 
doesn't see that we're in Christ a lot of the time. But when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. I want to focus a little bit on that last point, um, that fifth point, because um, perhaps it's hard for us to think about this in our, in our lives. You know, often people say, uh, when a person becomes a Christian, oh, I accepted Christ into my life. I made that decision. But actually, Christ has accepted us into himself to be part of his family. We were orphaned. We were lost. <laughs> we were, you know, all the analogies. We were blind. We were deaf. We were dumb. We were dead. <laughs> and we've been raised. We've been born again. And if we have that mustard seed of faith or trust in Jesus, then he gives us the immeasurable amount of, an immeasurable amount of grace to come into his family and to come and be with him. And there's a future reality, in other words, that Jesus will return and bring us uh, to have a, a new future, glorious bodies, bodies that won't decay, no, no pain or suffering, Revelation says. No crying, no death. That's, that's the great reality. And, of course, the danger is that we just focus on one level. This is what we need to do. We need to come to church. We need to read our Bibles. We need to pray. And then we'll become more mature. But we must come to acknowledge that it's hard to change our lives. It's hard to change our temperaments, our inner dispositions at times. We must die to self, the Bible tells us, and live for Christ. There's a great illustration in C.S. Lewis' uh, book, little timeless book called The Great Divorce. The title of the book um, uh, you might say, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's, is that a Christian book? Uh, yes. Uh, Lewis, um, or the publishers, said this, gave it that title in response um, to William Blake's uh, 19th century uh, author who wrote a book called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, which is uh, not true. And so what uh, Lewis did was sort of combined Charles Dickens' story um, if you heard the story of the Christmas Carol where uh, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, confronts four ghosts uh, and particularly the ghost of the past, the present and the future to show him his life, how miserable he was and how um, Scroogey he was. Um, and um, so Lewis, C.S. Lewis combines that story with, I think, a bit of the story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. Remember, there was a great chasm fixed between uh, where, La where Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham, next to Abraham, and where the rich man was in hell. And the rich man wanted someone to go and tell his brothers. And, uh, and Abraham said, no, there's a great chasm fixed between us. No one can cross one way or the other. And so what uh, Lewis uh, shows in this novel is that despite having um, uh, lived a sort of hell on earth, that people, um, with the goodness of heaven, 
it will work backwards into people's life, even though they've gone through some terrible times and turning their worst sorrows into joys, changing their experience of earth into an extension of heaven. And conversely, uh, the evil of hell works uh, backwards too, that if there's any remembered happiness in, in life, from life on earth, then it loses its meaning when people are in that other place. And the soul's experience on earth would retrospectively become hell. And so there's this wonderful story, I think, of this uh, lady named Pam. Uh, And she's a lost soul. And so Lewis's um, way of getting people to sort of look at what heaven is, is that they take this bus ride from Greytown, which is hell, and they see these different people. And here is Pam, this lost soul, uh, talking to the spirit, the bright spirit, about her son. And she'd lost her son... Um, when he was very young, and uh, Michael, who was in heaven, Michael died when he was still a boy, and Pam had never really recovered, and she's clearly disappointed. She says to the spirit, um, the spirit says, well, he's far up the mountain. She said, well, I don't understand. Why hasn't he come to meet me? Uh, Didn't he know I was going to be, you know, sort of here? Um, Well, the spirit says, well, he wouldn't be able to see or hear you. Uh, at present, because you're totally invisible to Michael. And you see, C.S. Lewis is pointing out that people are not disallowed, um, that God hasn't put them into hell. That's their decision, that many people think that God rejects them, but they have rejected God, and they prefer to live their life their way rather than God's way. And so heaven would be too bright Uh, because God dwells in this uh, light (laughs) and heaven would be too solid uh, even if they could walk on the ground or it's too solid they'll they can't exist there because it's solid with truth and and the atmosphere would be unbearable because it's uh, pierced with love Um, and so uh, the only way to find the way to heaven is to be supported by one of heaven's inhabitants. Who would that be? I wonder. His name is Jesus. And so to all who have died in the body, heaven is, um, it could be open to them, but they must have died to themselves before um, they can be there. And, and, and um, that death is called... Uh, The second death, which Revelation points out, first death is always our own death, our natural death. Uh, The cells will will stop manufacturing and our hearts will stop pumping. But the second death is is the death of the soul, is the spiritual death. And we can avoid that, Revelation tells us, if we put our trust in Jesus. And so Pam, this grieving mother... What we learn there is she's kept the memory of her son. She hasn't changed her room in 10 years, changed his room in 10 years. And she's lived a life not for herself, but for the memory of Michael. Now, this is not saying how good and right and wonderful is a mother's love for a son. Um, 
And a mother's love for a son is like God's love for us. He cares and he protects and he seeks the best. And uh, what can be, in a sense, better than a mother's love for a child? But why does Pam find herself in Greytown? Why is God not recognised? Well, after Michael had died, she didn't care for anyone else. She just wanted to hang on to this memory. And so keeping the room exactly as he'd left it, keeping the anniversaries, refusing to leave the house, um, making life very wretched for her husband and her daughter in all those years. And they had revolted against her too. Um, It wasn't against Michael they revolted, it was against you, against having their whole life dominated by the tyranny of the past, not even Michael's past, but your past. And so then Pam wants to change it. What can I do? What can I do? Which is what people ask these days. You're treating God as a means to find Michael. Whole change consists in learning to want God for himself, for his own sake. Oh, she said, if God loved me, he'd let me see my boy. If he loved me, why did he take Michael away? I wasn't going to say anything, but it's pretty hard to forgive God, you know, for that. (laughs) And you see, her pain and her grief is at the centre of all these things. Give me my boy, she, she cries to the spirit. I don't care about your rules and regulations. I don't believe in a God who keeps a mother and son apart. I believe in a God of love. No one has the right to come between us. Not even God. Tell that to him to his face. He's mine. Do you understand? He's mine. Because she doesn't understand that God is the author of life and she owes everything to God. And her answer is to feed herself, her hurt, her rage, her grief, refusing to live in the present and also to look for the future. And, and the truth is, the reality is that God has prepared what no eye or ear or mind perceives. But we, uh, it's not just this this. Is not just about love in human terms, but what it's, Lewis is showing is when a good thing is turned into an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. We have many good things in our lives, but the ultimate thing is to love God. And that's, and that's what your life hidden will reveal, your love for God. There's a great passage in 1 John, I'm going to put it up here, <clears throat> and, it, and it just describes about our hidden life. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called his children. And so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us, because it didn't know him. See, like Pam. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, becomes holy as he is 
pure or holy. Change needs to happen in our hearts, in our minds, in, in, in the inner parts of us. Instead of first, many people focus on change on the outside. But first of all, we've got to change our hearts. Now, talking a lot about the foundations, let's move on to verse 5 to 17. I'm, again, I'm just going to skip through this. We need to build our lives on those foundational truths that God is a reality, that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that our, we have been redeemed and that Jesus is coming again and that our lives, even though their true lives are hidden, they'll be revealed glorious with Jesus. And so Paul goes on to put to death the earthly things, verse 5 to 11. These are personal sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and the social sins like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. And since we've, been di- since we've died, we've been buried and resurrected and ascended with Christ, we've been given his fullness. And so these are the things we must put off sensuality and materialism and put on the things that pertain to the things above. Being renewed in the creator's image, we are to put on all these fruit of the spirit is in Galatians. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It talks about bearing with another. Another word for that is long-suffering, forgiveness and love. And it all starts from the inside, doesn't it? Putting off, involving repentance, turning around, away from those worthless things, and putting on, involving training our hearts to seek the good. And at the end of this passage, there's three, now let this happen, always with thankfulness. Let the peace of Christ, it can rule in our hearts, Let the word of God dwell richly in us and let the person of Christ be seen in all we say and do. That just covers everything, all we say and do, doesn't it? I just want to focus on that verse 16, the function of teaching one another. And I think it's a little bit underrated in churches today. What happens when we get together like this? It's called church. And we can do without many things, can't we? Um, But we can't do without sound preaching. I try to do that. We can't do without training and teaching our children in the way they should go. That's very important. That's why we have kids' church and youth group and so on. But sound teaching and uh, teaching our children are often a one-way communication The other sort of teaching is where we have questions, where we can talk to each other, where we have the opportunity to think and allow the word to speak in our lives. And this is what I think it means that the word of God can dwell in us richly, to be studying the word, to be reading it, meditating on it and allowing it to work in every part of our lives, applying it. And again, we're not perfect, but that's why we have Connect and Grow groups. Oh, Rob, you're just doing a plug for what you do. Yeah, okay. But the word 
of Christ here in Colossians basically is interchangeable with that is what is said in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 to 22 or 20. They say, let the word sung together in various situations. Or in Ephesians, it's be filled with the spirit, you see. Let the word just permeate our teaching, but also our singing. Now, we could devote a a whole sermon on this, but we need to express the foundational truths in our lives. That's what... That's what it's saying. And without the word, we wouldn't know what those foundational truths are. So, you know, as Nathan said this morning, this song, Wren Collections of We Are More Than Conquerors, based on Romans 8.37, what is it saying to us? It's saying that God is not against us. It's saying he's continually working for us. It's saying we don't need to die for our wrongs because he's already done that. But you don't go on doing your wrongs. You repent and you turn your lives around and praise and thank him for what he's done for us. We are more than conquerors, not only because Jesus conquered for us, but he gives us this life, this abundant life, to receive all his goodness and blessings. So here's a couple of things finally that, may help us keep us on track. Certainly we need to keep on keeping on, putting off, putting on. But verse 11 and verse 17 touch on a couple of things. And, you know, this is something I've noticed um, going back in our times when we were in Mount Barker, a family came along and they were a family that had come to Australia. They had... um, Three children, they'd come from South Africa, Pretoria actually, and dad, mum, two boys and a girl. We, we could understand them, Afrikaans wasn't too bad. Um, <clears throat> and they turned up regularly and became involved. And they were just wonderful people, just unassuming, kind, generous, uh, fitted in really well, uh, very reserved. Um, but one thing everyone noticed about them, one thing stood out. And that was their children's behaviour. It's just a little thing, I know, but it, it was natural to them but almost foreign and unseen to us. See, what their children would do would be open a door for the older person. What their children would do would give others first place. They would position the chair for the elderly folk and all the people say, we haven't seen this before in our children. We have never seen this. How did this come about? And the parents said, oh, we just trained them up the right way. (laughs) But it's more than that. It was already in their hearts and minds. They just did it without people telling them to do it. It was in their hearts. It was in their nature. And so here Paul writes... There's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all in all. When the new self is lived out, there's no racial barriers, Greek or Jew. There's no religious barriers, circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no cultural barriers. There's no social barriers, slave or free. But Christ is all in all. Christ is in us all. 
and therefore we respect one another, we love one another. Isn't that the Tertullian, the uh, second century apologist, writes of how the non-Christians said, see how these Christians love one another. And that's what Jesus said. This is how all men will know that you, you love for one another. Know that you're my disciples. And we need to nurture that love in us. Love others as God loves them. To conquer those barriers. And then in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ means in his authority, in his grace and mercy. Be the person of Christ and let people see that. Many Christians can get weary in well-doing, but we are not to get weary in well-doing. And therefore, we need to tell ourselves when we're going, why are we doing this? We need to preach to ourselves. We need to encourage ourselves that God is working in us and ask some questions like, why did I do that stupid thing? Why am I saying that? How can I show myself as one approved? Or what does this word really mean in my life today? Do you see? It's all those difficult questions that your home group leader will ask you a couple of days before you get together. And it's actually helping you understand what the word is saying and how to apply it. Teaching you, correcting you, training you in the ways of righteousness. There's a great challenge there for us, isn't it? And we know that we can't do it on our own strength at all, really. But there's one who did it for you, Jesus. And he's with you. And he, you died and you were raised with him. And your life is hidden with him. And he wants you to continue to change your life to be like him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to seek after the kingdom and his righteousness to love his ways, his thoughts. When people meet us and hear us and speak, see us act, may they see something of Christ in us and help us to put on love and to put off the judgmental heart that binds up thinking bad things about others and saying hurtful things that cause divisions. Help us to speak the truth in love and remind us what you teach us here from Colossians 3 that our lives are hidden in Christ and that we can be assured of the hope of being raised with new bodies to reign with him, being filled with thankfulness and and having the peace of Christ uh, live in us despite all the troubles and hardships we face. Lord, hear this prayer we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.